got some celebrities here with us this morning. I told, I told Dale, I said, you are going to be quiet, right? <laughs> get a chance to, to really visit with you. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Matthew Velasquez was baptized last Sunday night. Amen. And, uh, you know, we've been working with, uh, you know, after we got through and we were back there, Chris hugged me and he said, thank you so much for what you've done. I said, dude, I didn't do anything. I, I just do what I do. I just teach. I said, you guys, Chris and his wife are the ones that pulled that off. They lived in front of people. And that's, what, that's where it has to work. You have to live in front of people. And that's what they did. I said, you got to do the hard work. I just want to. Put him in the water is nothing. It's not, it's not nothing. But you know what I mean. It's not, the, it's not the important part. The important part was them living in front of him. Seeing him. And I don't know what you've got. And, uh, you know, you can, you, can, you can teach pages of words on a page all day long. It doesn't mean anything if you don't see a good job people fly. So remember that folks when you when you walk out of this place on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it is, remember, you know, put it into practice. Put it into practice and be patient. It's gonna take time. Okay? We're gonna pray and we're gonna get started, right? Let's run. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here. We're so grateful, Father, for the power of the word and for the for the direction it can take us. We're grateful for this church and for the for what it represents and what it uh, what it stands for. We just pray, Father, your blessings upon us here, and Father, as we as we study your word, Father, we we pray that you'll help us to fall in love with it. We know you've told us that people perish because We pray, Father, help us to fall in love with it as we study and as we learn as we grow. And Father, as we worship this morning, we pray that our worship will be pleasing to you. That it will be a worship that you can look with favor on and smile. And be, uh, and be happy about it. And we pray, Father, that that will be our first Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you again for this body of believers. Uh, we're so strong and strive so hard to be what you want them to be. And I pray that you continue to help us to do that. And thank you so much, Father. We pray for those who are, who are among our number this morning that are struggling with their health. We have, a, we have a numerous ones in this room that are struggling and, and have things going on. And I just pray for each one of them, Father. Uh, you know who they are. Know that the, what they need, and I just pray that, that you continue to help them as they recover and as they uh, as they uh, get a handle on what's going on in their life. Bless us, Father. Help us as we study and help us as we worship this morning. It's in the name of your holy son we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter six. I'm going to tell you again uh, for those of you who are with me. This letter was not written to you. Okay, it was written to a young preacher in Ephesus by his mentor. It's the first of two. We'll study both of them. Uh, this is a this is a letter. We can glean some things out of it, but it was not written to you personally. If I get a letter from somebody in my family and it's about things in generic, you can look at that letter, but that letter will never be to you. 
It never will be addressed to you. It was not addressed to us. Okay? It was addressed to Timothy. And Timothy has his, his challenges there. One of them, uh, many of them, uh, he talked about over this, over this first letter. But the ones in chapter 6 are false teachers. Teachers that are teaching things that are not in accordance with God's plan. But not in accordance with God's will. And they have them there just like we have them today. You know, I heard, a, uh, and I'll talk to you about this in a bit, but I heard a guy yesterday morning saying some things on TV that are blatantly, patently false. Not in accordance with God's word at all. And, and we'll talk about it. i got a note here to, to get to it when, when I get there. But, uh, you know, this, these teachers, what we learned last week, these teachers were, were refusing to adhere to sound doctrine and godly teachings. So because they did, they were not, uh, they were not teaching it themselves. They did not, godly teaching and sound instruction did not matter to them. And so there was all kinds of controversies over words, words and chatter and stuff like that. And then they thought that, that, that they were, what was, what ultimately what it was for was that the belief that godliness is the means to financial gain, as God said. That's what, that's the kind of the criteria that they had. And that is, is, is absolute in our culture today. There are so many people out there that are, that are teaching, uh, and they believe that it's, a, it's, and when you see guys flying around in jets and living in, in multi-million dollar houses, you know, maybe they're right for them. And like I said, I saw one yesterday, and his uh, his premise was we have we have since this ministry have started we have over 100 millionaires have have been, been established in our in our church because of of uh, our praying and our giving and uh, and I'm going what and I couldn't wait to see what was next and he said we're praying for 300 more so don't forget to give. <laughs> I'm going, are you kidding me? You know, where's the talk about judgment and hell and sin and consequence and grace? And mercy? Where's that? It wasn't anywhere. I could only listen to it for a snippet. I couldn't listen to it long because it really was galling me. Uh, because I know that there are people that were, that, that were running to their phones and calling in and giving their money because they believe they're going to get a windfall. They've been promised a windfall. If they just give this much money, they'll get a windfall. And these are teachers that... That have uh, that they have uh, destroyed the ability for these people to know the truth. When when teachers like that, or preachers like that, when they when they uh, are robbed of the truth because of their own greed, their own idolatry, they're robbed of the truth. They rob their students of the same thing. You start teaching people things that are not true. This is what teachers. going to be over with you know I you know my uh, my grandparents Paul was at my my old homestead 
uh, where I spent most of my time. And as a, as a young man, as a young, young child, you know, we spent a lot of time there. It was in Moravia, which is about 10 miles north of Hallettsville. It's a farm, 60-acre farm that my grandfather, that's how he made his living. And, uh, and we, uh, he, showed, he sent me a picture of the house. And the house has a big hole in the roof. And one of the rafters is, is hanging down at the kitchen. And, uh, and it just brought to bear the, the fact that this stuff is not going to last. Stuff's going to go away. No matter what you do, your wealth will not, will not follow you where you're going. You're not going to take it with you. You're going to leave it here for somebody else. And that's what that's what verse 7 said. Now I want us to get in verse 8 and verse 9 because and 10 because th these are the, the, the last two. These are the two that, that I want us to look at this morning. Uh, and I think these are these are extremely important. Alright. Uh, look at, at uh, I'm gonna start I'm gonna start in verse six and we're gonna read through and then we're gonna concentrate on verse verse eight uh, here in a minute. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires and plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. All right, we looked at the first two, and they're talking about commitment, and it's, and it's pleading it's going to go away. But then I want us to look at verse 8 again. It says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, what I came up with here was our basic needs are easily met. All right? Our basic needs are easily met. The things that you need the most, they are met. Right? Would you say that's true? Uh, in America. In America. If I start repeating you, it's because they can't hear over there. The, the microphones are right here, so I have to repeat it sometimes for, for them to hear. So, you know, somebody in, in America, we, we, our things are easily met. I say that that's only partly true, because I think our needs are easily met no matter where we are. Okay? And I'll tell you why. Look at Luke chapter 12. Turn to Luke chapter 12 for me. Now, you remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Timothy, who is a member of the body of Christ. And he is preaching at Ephesus to the church who are members of the body of Christ. And he's telling them, look, your, our needs are easily met. Not according to these false teachers. These false teachers say the more money you have is how you're going to gain wealth. You're going to gain power. and You're going to gain prestige. And all these things you have to fight and work and struggle and ag agonize over to get this stuff. And in our culture, that's true today, like it was then, I guess. You know, Paul was run out of Ephesus by the silversmith who didn't like what he was teaching, and they ran him out, tried to kill him. I, I, I never understood what, what Timothy did to Paul for him to leave him there. But he did. He leaves him there. And, and you know, uh, I don't know if that was a blessing. I guess it was a blessing to Paul it was. He leaves, leaves him there, and he has to deal with all of this stuff. And here he's dealing with these teachers that have come in, these these purveyors of, of misunderstanding and mis, uh, misstatements and saying that uh, you know we're gonna we're going to if the more the more we have the more we get the more the more happier we'll be the more content we'll be 
And and in that in verse eight he says, and these things are easily met. Now remember who he's talking to. And you said in America, I said anywhere, because they're easily met if you know who you're talking. He's talking to. Look at at verse uh, twenty nine. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, for by first. And he goes on. So, as a Christian, are my how do I know that my, my needs are going to be easily met? How do I know that? Because God just told me. He said, I know what you need. I want you to go back up to this text a little bit. All right, go, just go back up a little bit and go back to verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not root, root, so are we. They have no storerooms or barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And I'm here to tell you a couple of things. How many of you hang hummingbird feeders in your yard? How many of you? How many of you have hung a hummingbird feeder after you've seen the hummingbirds flying around, and then all of a sudden you hang a feeder, and within minutes, hummingbirds are at your feet? You know? You think that's all because of you? Is that what you think? Or do you think that God gives them some kind of tracking system to know where they ate last time and where they're going to eat again? And... And he said, you are way more important than a hummingbird, right? right. Please say you, you know you're right. <laughs> that you know that you're more important. So then we got a different kind of study we got to do. If you don't know you're more important than a hummingbird, God said, I know you need this stuff. You know, Catherine, Robert, you have a little baby. Because that little, that little baby has needs, right? Can, can it tell you what it needs? Kind of. But not, can't talk to you and say, I, I, what does it depend on? Depends on you two to know what it needs. I depend on my father. I don't know what I need. I know I'm hungry. I know I'm, I need clothes. God says, I know what you need. I'll give it to you. He's a way better father than Robert is. Way better. I'm not saying Robert's not a good father. He's, but he's way better. than He was a way better father than I am. Than I ever was. Okay. And I tried really hard to make sure that my kids had what they needed. And then I'm, I'm going along and saying, you know, man, I got this and I got that and I got this to do and got that to do. And then some kind of tragedy happened. Boom! Blows up in your face. And you look around and then this verse pops at me and it says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Somebody dies in your life and your whole world comes unraveled. In a moment, it comes unraveled. And if it's one of your children, it's something sometimes some people never get over. You know? And Jesus said, if you could add, man, I would give anything, anything in two times in my life that God could have added one hour to somebody's life. Just one. When my mom died and when Cliff died. I asked the detective. He said, what can I do for you, Mr. Spate? And I said, wake him up. I need five minutes. I got something to tell him. I want five minutes. That's all I want, five minutes. And the detective was crying. I was crying. The whole group of detectives was crying because all I wanted to do was tell him how much I loved him. And I just, and Jesus said, that's a little thing. It wasn't to me. It wasn't to me. 
it was a big deal to me. My mom is laying in a bed and she's curled up in a fetal position and I'm telling her how much I wish we had some more time together and, and her, a tear is rolling out. If, if he could have woke her up and give me one hour, just one hour, you know, that's a little thing to, to God, not to me. So adding food and clothes to me, if he can wake people up for an hour, then adding, adding food in my pantry is no, no big deal. Would you say that's true? So that's why I say that, that what he says, what, what Paul says to Timothy, men, our needs are easily met. Go to God, say, God, I, I need it, knowing he already knows what you need before you ask for it. But he knows what you need, and he loves us. Do you believe Father loves you? Do you believe he loves you with everything he has? How do you know that? How do you know? Somebody explain to somebody, you know, we have we have baby Christians in here. Okay? We got one sitting right behind y'all. There's Matthew walking in. I didn't see you walk in. Hey Matthew. Yeah, we already clapped and, and, and talked about you already. You know, Robert and, and Catherine were just baptized a while back. You know? How do you how do you convince them that God loves them? When they're dealing with a world that everything in that world says that no he doesn't, he's not even real. You have to follow this. For it to be real how do you tell them how do you convince them what do you tell them tell them about jesus tell them about jesus we've done that yeah uh, what do you tell what do you do Dale? what do you do what do you, you know, tell them? god tells us the most important thing on his mind mm -hmm. by sharing it with us in the word mm -hmm. and he tells us that we are it and i have yet to see a single promise about what he says about us not come true and not come to bear. I know. And when I when I know that God loves me that much and every promise is fulfilled, what about the rest? You know, and I've known Dale a long time. Since he was a little kid, known him. Okay. And I know that now that he's grown into a into a grown man and the, and the pride that his family has, the pride that I have in him, you know, the the John thirteen comes smacks me in the mouth all the time. And they'll know you are my disciples, how? by the love you have one for another. I know I could call Dale anytime, Darren. He knows he could call me, say, Dan, I've got this problem I need your help with. Can you pray with me? Can you do this for me? What can you do? You know, and I and you know what that proves to me? That God's real. Amen. Because Dale and I don't walk in the same circles. We never would have in our lives, ever. Never. We I didn't walk in the same circles your dad walked in. You know, the only reason we did is because of the saving blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. And that proves to me that God's real. It proves to me. I can look around. I can look at that hummingbird. I can look at the things of nature and go out there and look and say, I know that this is true because God said it and God's real. And how do you know that this is real? How do you know that this is real? You remember I've told you all before, these are the two things that I, that I establish with people when I study with them first and foremost. Right, Matthew? Is God real? And did he write this book? And is it his book? And if those two questions, yes and yes, then we got something to study on. If we don't, if it's no, then, then all we're going to do is argue, and I don't want to do that. i got other things to do. You know, do I know that it's real? Spend your time trying to figure that out. Spend your time in it trying to figure out, how do I know for sure it's real? You know, how do I know that when, when Paul writes to Timothy, these are real people with real problems just like us? And to know that these people are trying to get to get ahead in the world just like we are. And they were trying to get add their stuff. And, and Timothy's preaching to them on a Sunday morning or whenever he was preaching and saying, guys, your needs are going to be easily met because God's going to, and he's quoting something Paul wrote to him in a letter. 
that we have today. Now, look at the next one. Look at verse 9 of him. I, I, I wrote something down I found. It's, a, it's by David Thoreau. Okay, I don't know if y'all know who that is. He was a like a like a poet or kind of in the 1800s. But he wrote this: a man a man is wealthy in proportion to the number of things he can afford to do without. When I read, it, I thought, "Wow, that's pretty cool." I'll write that down. I'll quote that to class. I'll read it to you again. A man is wealthy in proportion to the number of things he can afford to do without. Just just dwell on. It, all right. Let's look at verse nine. Again, all right. It says, uh, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. How many of you people have heard it said, somebody out there said, well, money's the root of all evil. You ever heard that? Money's the root of all evil. That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say that. What does it say? God never said money was evil. That's not what he said. Okay? Money is fine. You know, if it's used in the right way and it's looked at in the right perspective. The love of money. What's the difference? What's the difference? Tell me what the difference is. The love of money. Okay? A person that has the love of money is more dedicated to the money than to God. Yeah. Idol worship. He calls it idolatry. You know, we're, you know, so so what is what's what's the difference for you? Tell me what the difference is. Tell me. I think in Ecclesiastes five, Solomon explains it really well because he said the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then after that he says uh, the, the love of wealth, income is never enough. Yeah. And so to me, the love of money is is it's the chase. It becomes the priority of life to chase the money all the time and all your decisions get based on that. You hear all kinds of stuff in the news today of, of people in, in all kinds of compromising situations. They get wealthy and they get crazy and start doing things. And, you know, thanks, but I'd rather be poor. I'd just rather be broke. You know, you know, go outside every day and work and see if I can make a dime, make a dollar, make a quarter, whatever. And just and be com completely content when the day is over with. You know, and not have to worry about the nonsense. Yes, ma'am. It's, uh, I've heard people talk about like those meg, the mega churches mm -hmm. that are huge. Mm -hmm. And uh, back when I think Harvey hit mm -hmm. that church in, in Houston didn't open its doors. People were there. They needed some place to stay because they could, but they, and they got a lot of backlash from that because. They were not letting people that had been flooded out of their homes to have some place to where they could stay dry. And uh, there are some churches that they seem to gravitate toward that. Like, well, look how big we are. Look at, you know, our stained glass windows. Look at, you know, our pews are so nice. And we have... Uh, like those jumbo screens so where you can see the service on it. And I don't know. I can remember when I was little, uh, my mother uh, took me to this little church. It was Easter Sunday, and we all dressed up for our... And I remember that the pews were not the best. The 
the windows sure weren't stained, but the feeling in there was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it kind of, it's kind of scary that you see that happening because people gravitate to that. See, well, look how well off this church is. Look how I, I think. Grown. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's that's one of the things that Paul is is camping on here about these false teachers teaching kind of stuff that's nonsense, it's not true, and, and they're camping on, in this part of the text, they're camping on the wealth, they're camping on financial gain. That's, that's what he says. They think it's a, it's, a, it's a recipe for financial gain, you know, to uh, pill for money from, from people who can't afford for you to take it from them, okay? That's how a lot of places get, get wealthy. I don't want to talk about certain churches, but I think when you start applying the principles of God and you say the love of money, you have to ask yourself, okay, what is he talking about? How does that work in my life today? Is that a problem in my life? Yeah, Nancy. I read something the other day about a man somewhere in the United States who won a lottery. Mm -hmm. Why he had a lottery ticket, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he was just an average, ordinary person, won like three million something. His comment was, well, I do need a new vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it... I mean, we could sit here with stories all day long of, of what it means to have wealth, what it means to be poor, what it means to, you know, what's the perspective of it here. What I wanted you to see is what, what does God say that can happen? Look at what he says can happen. He, said, he says that, that, uh, that it will plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We've seen it. We've seen the, the evil that comes sometimes from people having too much money. You know, from sitting across a, a table from someone and they're crying in their eyes out and said, what What do I do now? I've lost all my kids. I made a lot of money and I've lost all my kids. Now what? What am I supposed to do? How do I justify this? And they, and they, they took job positions. They took promotions, whatever it was. And it, and it caused them to be away from home more and more. It caused them to be, to be isolated from, from wives or husbands more and more. And then what happened eventually? It's caused strains within the relationship, strains within their children. Then you see their children grow up to be exactly like they are, with the same with the same focus and the same motivation as they have, and it caused, and it perpetuates itself. If we don't stop at some point, if we don't stop looking at wealth, the and start looking at the way God says to look at it here, then we're going to do the same exact thing. We're going to perpetuate the nonsense. We're going to perpetuate that mindset of. You know, that my kids, you know, I, I mean, I've told you before, I mean, you know, we paid our kids an allowance. They worked. I worked them. They worked hard, man. I mean, you know, they got a pittance for an allowance, but, man, I, we worked them. And I was not going to give them anything for free. They weren't getting nothing. I've told you before, I wasn't buying their cars. I wasn't paying for their insurance. I wasn't sending them to school. Wasn't my school. Wasn't my car. Wasn't my insurance. You want it, you buy it. I'll just give you a work ethic. That's what I'll give you. I'll give you a work ethic. I will, I will let you see me work my tail off all the time. But also, I wanted them to see that they're going to see me give my life to God, and they're going to see what that means. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to navigate the two. And I think, for the most part, we did okay with that, George and I, to navigate where we could put them in perspective and, put them, and then let, watch God work. And he did that. And I think it's, it's doable today even. If you have the right focus, the right mindset, what's more important? Is it is it what it said and what it said a while ago? Is it is it if I pursue righteousness, 
what does he say? All these things will be added to me. God knows what's going on. I'm his child, guy. Matthew has been adopted into the family. He is a child of the king. Yeah. You understand what that means? That means God knows what he needed yesterday, what he needs today, and what he's going to need tomorrow. He knows that. And he knows the, the, the best piece of advice I'm going to give you, live it out in front of your family and watch what happens. Live it in front of them. And then be patient. Watch what happens. That's what you do. You don't try to buy them. You don't try. To, you just live it in front of them. That's the best wealth you can have is your spirituality. I don't need money. You know, if I need money, I'll come to you. You got money, I'll come to you and get it. Right? What are you laughing about? Hey, that's what I do when I need money. What I do? What I do? I come to y'all. Say I need money for this. We need money for that. I had somebody walked up to me the other day and gave me a thousand dollars. Said, "Here, put it wherever we need it." Okay, got it. I'll fix that. I can. I'll. I'll spend that money in a heartbeat. Because there's a lot of things we need, things we can do. So, but you know, that person has a perspective of wealth that is here. Here, you you take it. I don't want to deal with it. You take it. You have. And he says, he says, having the wrong perspective of wealth can lead you to ruin and destruction. And he and then he says. And here, here's a tax, another uh, idea of the day. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I want to ask you a question. Just so that, what, where is the once saved, always saved in this verse? I just would like to know. Please, Dale, can you explain where once saved, always saved is in this verse? Not here, is it? What does it say? There are people who have gone over to a place where they're looking for wealth. I want wealth. I want. I have it. And it says that they have wandered from the faith. Where they can't wander from the faith if they never were there. If they were there, then why? Then how they lose it? How they lose their faith? Money, the power, the power of it took them and drug them away. How many of you have made a decision in your life at some point that was probably here more to making money than to serving God. How many of you have done that? Nobody's going to raise your hand? Come on. Dale, you got to Hey, I've done it. I've done it. Been there and done it. You know, made a decision based on based on better job situation, better this, better that, and it, and it took me away from God. I knew it was going to. I knew the problem was going to be there, and I did it anyway. How'd that work out for you? Did you finally get your bearings? Finally come, whoa, man, this was a mistake. Can't do this no more. I better be careful. Because, because the, the reality is what he, Paul tells Timothy is that some have wandered from the faith because of it and, and, has, and have pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, I mean, I have, I have sat across, I know Dale has sat across the table from people before that their lives are a shambles. And you can trace it back to the decisions they've made in their lives. Decisions to take them away from God instead of to Him, right? Over and over and over. I've sat right here. Girl sat right there, and I sat right here. And uh, and it was and it was horrible. The decision she had made that took her away from God, farther and farther away. Because when you make one decision, what happens? It compounds to another one, and then to another one, and then to another one. And pretty soon, you know, say you take you make a decision. I'm going to take this better job, and I'm going to make more money. Man, it's going to be great. Now, well, I can't live in this house anymore. I got to get a better house. I got a better better car. And now you're hung. Now you can't walk away. 
now you're hung up to your neck because the, the debt is, is going to mount. You see how this works? And it all stemmed from having a love of wealth over a love of God. And it causes death and destruction, and it causes people to walk away from the faith. We've seen it. We've seen it in our families. We've seen it in the church, haven't we? And it puts to rest, that one verse puts to rest for me, that idea, that, that doctrinal stance that some people have of once saved, always saved. You've heard that before, right? People out there teach, oh, once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. Really? How many places do you want me to take you to? I'll take you to this one right here. It's enough for me. It's not enough for many people, but it's enough for me. Now, let's go to verse 11. Any questions? Everybody good with this? We got it? I made you feel really bad about your job now and, and your bank account and all that. I didn't, I didn't intend to do that, but, you know, hey. If I come to you looking for money, say, sure, here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, now, look at what he said. Now, this is a, this is a, this, there's a text here that's going to have a few things that, that Paul is going to give charge to Timothy to do. All right? There's four or five things he's going to talk to do. He said, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep his commandments without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's stop right there. There's a whole bunch there. You know me. It's going to take me, it's going to take me two, three weeks to get through this. So, that's okay. You know, I, I want to I look at first. He, said, he tells Timothy, he said, you run from this stuff. Run from what? All that teaching about the about wealth and power and the and the quibbling over words and nonsense. That he said you run from that. What does it mean? What does it mean to you to run from that stuff? When what let me ask, what have you had to run from in your life? If he'd be writing this to, to you, what would he tell you run from run from what? What did you have to run from? Yeah, Mark. The Navy. The Navy. <laughs> Y'all hear what he said? He said to run from the Navy. Why? You you want you want me to you want to explain why <laughs> the navy was killing him spiritually. It was a great it was a great place for him to be, but it was killing him spiritually. He could not be what he wanted to be. I remember a guy who was here. Uh, I forgot his name. He was he was one of the ministers here, and he used to be a highway patrolman in Oklahoma. Remember him? What was his name? Y'all remember him? Carl Harris. Carl Harris. Carl Harris. And you know, we were standing right out there, right outside that door. And he said, I said, Carl, I said, how did, how did you navigate being a cop? And he said, Dan, he said, I couldn't do both. He said, it was too much that I saw and too much that I had to be involved. I couldn't do both. He said, I had to leave being a, and he said, I loved being a, being a highway patrol. I loved it. He said, but I had to walk away because it was killing me spiritually. I couldn't do it. And he said, he went to Sunset, eventually got a job here. And I think he's, he was preaching in Oklahoma somewhere last I heard. But you know, that's the point. You know, he had, he had to run. He had to run from a job that he loved. He ran from So I can't do this. It's killing me. You know, that's what Mark said. I had to run. I had to run. You know, and Mark was in 12 years. Eight more years and he retires. All he has to do is put up with for eight more years. It's already costing him his marriage, costing him his kids. Cost, I mean, it was costing him everything. How much, how fast would you have run from that? Sadly, maybe not at all. That's the sad part. Identifying in our lives what it is that I got to run from. What do I need to run from? 
Matthew's got things in his life. I mean, he's just now in this transformation process. He's just now looking at it saying, whoa, man, this is, I mean, it's like a like it's swirling around him like this. He's a, kind of dizzy here. And at some point, he's going to look around and say, I've got to do this. I'm, I'm not going to tell him. I'm going to, God's going to help him figure that out himself. I'm not going to tell him, that, boy, you got to stop doing this, stop doing this. we got enough people doing that. I'm not going to tell him that. I'm going to tell you, I texted you the other day, and I said, how's your life, brother? Didn't I? How's your life? He said, text me that. It's awesome. It's awesome. You know, I'm not going to tell, hey, man, you need to get rid of this. You need to stop doing this. You need to do this. You know, he's going to figure that out because the Holy Spirit's going to tell him that way better than I can. Way better. So, you know, and he's going to figure out what he needs to run from. Same way with Catherine and, and Robert. They're going to figure out what they have to run from, what it, what what is detrimental to them spiritually. If their spiritual life is important to them, they will. So what was it that you had to run from? What did you have to run from? Yeah, Tim. There you go. I was wondering if anybody's going to have the cuts to stand up and say what it is. That, I had to run from drugs. I ran from it. I, I, had, to, I had to walk away, and I couldn't do it anymore. I had to stop. Y'all know that. I mean, y'all know some of the guys don't, you know. But, you know, hey, I was I was in it up to my neck. You know, we found out later on after I converted that they were looking at us, and they were, they were just waiting, biding their time, and they were going to bust us. We were done. I was going to prison. Back then, you went to prison. They put you under the jail. They didn't put you in the jail. They put you under the jail. I was going to jail. That was fact. I was going to jail, and and I had I I, I walked away. I had I, st I I ran. I ran from, it. you know, Tim saying saying that hey I had to run from this. I couldn't do this anymore. Uh huh. Your old family. She just had to ask her family to go back home. You have to go. I can't have you in my house because of the things they believe in, the things they were brought into her home. She said I can't have you here. You got to go. Can you imagine how difficult that is to ask your daughter? To say you gotta go because what you're preaching in this whole house is is tainting and staining the whole house. I can't have you here. Friends. Friends. Yeah. Sometimes they it's all intertwines, okay? Job, friends, dope, you know, whatever, you know, family, it all kind of intertwines together because friends are gonna you're gonna find out who your friends are. You know what I found out? Didn't have any. That's what I found out, didn't have any. The only friends I had was the ones I did drugs with. I, those weren't friends. I found out that these became my friends. This became my family. That's why I preach to you, Matthew, about looking at this and letting this become your family. Because it will. It'll become your family. People here will become like your father and your mother and your sister and your brother. I remember Nadine Crawford becoming like a mom to, to some of my kids. You know, you know the candy lady. You know, I remember, I remember uh, your mom. You know, having gum. I remember my grandson running up and saying, "You having gum today?" And she always did. You know, they 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 looked at these people as inspiration, as models for them to look at. I want to. I want a wife like this. I want to wish my, my wish my family was like this. You know, guys, run, run from whatever it is that's going to trap you and entangle you. And you know, and we're, I've got more text here, but I've run out of time. And uh, you know, I I didn't figure we'd get this far. But, 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 you know, guys, we got more to do. And if you guys are visiting with us, you want to watch this next week, hey, just get online, man. Our, it, this, thing's, this thing will be on on YouTube to, to this afternoon, and you can watch the class next week if you want. All right? Thanks, guys. Thanks for being here, and thank you for watching, guys.